This is the Christian Life Center podcast. Here at CLC, we are messengers of hope, where we believe in taking God's message of hope everywhere we go to everyone we meet. From wherever you are, be encouraged by this week's message. God bless you guys. Thank you so very much for the invitation to be here. Pastor Tom, thank you guys for the opportunity and all of the servants. I don't know if you guys see what the beehive of activity is in this church behind the scenes, but you know what? You know, I may not know your name, but God sees what you do every week. Amen. That is such an incredible thing to take place. My name is Joel and my wife Leah and I, we serve in Ecuador with our four kids. And uh, any of you guys, I just want to start out like running out of the gate. Is that all right? How many of you guys like romance? All right. So I moved to Ecuador as a single missionary a long time ago. And my boss had a daughter and I didn't know her. She was in college. She was in university in Louisville, Kentucky. She finished university. She had been raised in Ecuador and she moved back to Ecuador. She said, mom, I want one year. Dad, I want one more year before life starts. So she moves to Ecuador without knowing who was there. This is before internet, right? I'm glad she couldn't swipe right or left. So the deal is, She came back and when she got to Ecuador in January of 2000, I had been there for two years and she had never met me. She had never known me. And when she got there, she had a job in the United States. She had a house in the United States and she had a boyfriend in the United States. All right. Since my wife's not here, I'm telling you my version of the story. All right. She got to look at this. She quit the job, sold the house, dumped the guy, and I swept her off her feet, and that's my story, and I'm sticking to it, all right? And we got married in Ecuador three months later, and from that day forward, we've served God in the Amazon jungles of Ecuador. If there's a single person sitting beside you right now, look at them and say, there's hope for you. I'm going to tell you something, single people right now, be obedient to God, be obedient to God. Now, when I, when I, the very first time I went to the Amazon, people asked us, they said, how did you end up in the Amazon jungles of Ecuador from Alabama, from all places? And what's crazy is my boss really, who was now my father-in-law sent me to the jungle one time. He said, listen, he, we were pastoring a massive, unbelievable church in a great city. And I had no uh, real desire to leave that situation, but God put me on a bus and we rode a bus for 15 hours that never stopped one time to go to the bathroom. It gives a new feeling to the word rolling hills. Cause the bathroom doesn't stop, but the people go in the bathroom in the bus, just like that register. Okay. So by the time we got out in 15 hours, I thought the journey was over, but it was just beginning. And as I walked out of the bus, I stood there and I looked and they had some horses that were ready for us. Now, these weren't really big horses. They were more like big dogs. And when I got off the bus, they looked at me as if I was the biggest, hairiest man God had ever created. I got on that horse and I started riding that horse. And after a few hours, I heard the laughs coming from behind me. And I thought maybe I had my saddle on wrong or something like that. And I turned around and uh, (laughs) I asked them, I said, what's the problem here? They said, well, you're so big. 
Every time you come to a dip in the road or a mud patch, you pick the horse up like this and you carry him across the water. <laughs> I remember riding down the trail into a Shuar native village and as I rode into this first village, the guy who was leading me, he said, oh, by the way, you ever had one of those conversations? Oh, by the way, when we get there, you're the honored guest. And because you're the honored guest, they're gonna give you a drink. Now this drink is called chicha, and it's very special because the women in the village have been preparing it for weeks, and they take the yucca root and they chew it up and they spit it into a bucket and cover it up until it ferments, and they're gonna give this to you, and they're gonna give you the first option, and if you do not drink it, they won't listen to you. How many of you want to be missionaries? <laughs> so I get there and they handed me a gourd with about one quart of this wonderful drink. Milky white, by the way. Smelled much worse than it looked. And I prayed a prayer. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'm thinking to myself in my heart. Paul wasn't talking about spit when he prayed that prayer, Lord. But I did. I took one massive goal. I drank the whole, I'm like, man, I'm, you know, I grew up on a farm. You clean your plate, right? I can do this. I drank the whole thing. When it was at the bottom empty, I handed it to a lady who smiled at me and showed me all three of her teeth. And she said, you're so thirsty. Let me get you another one. At that moment, I wanted to choke the guy that had brought me there because he didn't tell me you're just supposed to sip it. <laughs> we rode horses for seven days through an entire valley in the Amazon jungle in Ecuador. And day after day, we went to village after village where people had never heard the name of Jesus Christ one time. We went village after village and village after village and village after village and we rode into a village where women were crying and when we, were, when we rode into that village, we rode in and there were three women, older women that were all crying and as they cried and the tears flowed down over the tattoos on their face that identified them according to their family and they were crying and I said, why are you crying? And they said, we heard that a missionary was coming to our village and we're the only three believers in this entire valley and we have been taken away. When we were little girls, we became believers. We went to Sunday school, but we never learned to write or read. And, and now our husbands came and bought us from our village and took us to this other village when we were eight, nine, 10 years old. And we have been praying for over 29 years that God would send someone to tell our people about Jesus. And that night, I, I waddled into a hut. I was so saddle sore from riding a horse for seven days. And I got on my face before God and I said, God, I know you got somebody. Send somebody. And the Lord asked me one question. He said, if you don't, then who will? 
at that moment, I made a decision to sow my life in an area where people had rejected the gospel for over 100 years. They told us it was a missionary graveyard and that we would never be successful. And our goal was to plant two churches in 20 years, baptize 150 believers in 20 years. That's pretty good if you're starting at zero, right? If the people you're talking to don't know the difference between Jesus and John Wayne, that's a pretty good statistic, right? But how many of you know that it's not by might nor by power? And we just had our 22-year audit just a few days ago, and we found out we have been way off in our prognostication because we haven't planted two churches, we planted over 80 churches, and we have not, and we have not baptized 150 believers, but we have baptized over 8,000 believers in water. And our pastors and our leaders have planted over 13 churches during COVID. Guess what? The Amazon jungle didn't shut down. And God kept moving and doors opened up like never before for the gospel. And right now, we want to plant 100 new churches in the next 10 years. Now, something happened in the middle of all of our church planning. Now, some of you men that are married, maybe somewhere in the back of your head, you heard somebody say something like, hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. If you know what I'm talking about, raise your eyebrow. I don't want you to get in trouble, all right? Somebody said it, I don't know. But you know what I learned in 2006? Heaven hath no ally like a woman inspired. Mama got inspired in 2006. Because out of all these people we started baptizing and started coming into our church, in all of our churches, we started finding out that little girls were being taken advantage of. We found out that in the province where we live, 85% of little girls have been sexually abused before they're 12 years old. That 40% of the girls who are 14 years old are pregnant or have children. And that we have the highest number of mothers under the age of 12. In 2006, my wife said, as a girl was dropped on our doorstep, we don't have an option and we don't have to pray about it. How many of you know that Jesus said, when right is within your reach, do right. And so we took in one girl, became two girls, became three girls, and in Houston, we got a problem. Because <laughs> we're church planners. And all of a sudden, my wife says, no, we gotta start a girl's home. I said, we got no money to start a girl's home. But how many of you know, God doesn't consult your bank account to give you your vision. Amen. And all of a sudden, in the middle of this trajectory, here's what happened. God gave us the land, and, and, and I thought to myself, man, we're going to build a building. We're going to build a home on there. It's called the Ecuador Hope House. It's a place where little girls can come and study and get educated and be discipled and told that they have, they have a purpose and a plan that is eternal, and God loves them and has set them apart. And I thought to myself, we had three little girls. I thought, man, we're going to build something so huge, we'll never fill it up. 
we built a house for 20 little girls. 20 little girls. But something happened. Mama stayed inspired. Because every year, the question would come, can we add one more bed? Can we knock down one more wall? Can we add one more wing? Can we expand the kitchen? Can we hire more staff? Can we do this for these little girls that have nowhere else to go? And would you guys believe that this fall, we have over 60 little girls that call the Ecuador Hope House home. And you know what fills me with joy? It's amazing to see that some of them are engineers, some of the graduates. We have a homecoming every fall. And the girls come home. And they all sit around and they talk about how the greatest days of their life were in that house. And how they heard the, 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 the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they have hope for their future. Some of them are engineers, teachers, nurses. But the ones that fill me with the greatest joy are the little girls that are now being sent from the National Church of Ecuador as missionaries. Did you hear that? Did you hear that? A social program, a social program will educate you. A Christian program will give you a purpose. And these little girls are preaching in China and they're preaching in, in all over Latin America. And you know why? Because somebody gave to their purpose. Now, we do live in the jungle. My, uh, what's crazy is I have my four kids, and it kind of becomes evident when you live in the jungle when you come back to the States. And I remember one night coming through the international concourse at an airport, probably Miami, and everything was bottlenecked coming through, the, coming through the, the customs line. You guys have been in that situation, right? And I always explain it this way. If you've never been there, it's like they're trying to fit the entire, the entire airport through one door. And so there's thousands of people, everything's bottlenecked, we're all standing back, and one of my kids breaks free and runs over to the water fountain, turns on the water fountain, shoves her face in it, turns back around and announces to a thousand people, come on you guys, it's cold, it's free, and you can have all you want. <laughs> and everyone in the airport looked at me like, what kind of freak are you, and where do you keep your kids chained up? It is a water fountain. Now, I have to admit, when I come back to the States, you can tell by looking at me, you know what? I am not, I, I just don't think about healthy food, okay? I don't dream about eating a banana or an apple or anything like that. I got any people out here? I'm from the South, and I have a philosophy. If it'll slow down long enough, I can fry it and eat it. And I remember one day I walked into a Popeye's chicken. Amen. I walked into a Popeye's chicken and when I walked into the Popeye's chicken, the little girl behind the cash register, she's ringing up my, my order and everything else, but she's scared. I can tell she's rehearsing her lines. And when I walk up there, 15, 16 year old, year old curly headed girl, she looks at me, she says, sir, thank you for coming to Popeye's chicken. We have everything on our menu except chicken. Now, I'm thinking in my mind, I don't know who got fired that day at Popeye's Chicken, but somebody got fired because if you run out of chicken at Popeye's Chicken, it's in your name. <laughs> and I don't know if you were the manager, the kitchen person, the girl on the floor, or, or the owner of the restaurant, but you get fired because you don't know the reason you exist. 
And somebody in the story at Popeye's Chicken just didn't get the reason why they existed. And why am I talking about chicken on Sunday morning? Because there are people in the church today that don't understand the reason why we're here. You don't get it. You don't get it. And you know why we don't get it? I can tell you why. Because there are people that are listening to me today that are more concerned with winning arguments than you are with winning souls. There are people listening to me right now and somehow you have read the word of God and you have twisted it in a way that you think the gospel is about being comfortable and happy. And you know, I've read it in the, in the Greek and I cannot find the verse that said, blessed are the comfortable. And I have read in the Greek and I can't find the verse that said, I have come that you might be happy. But somehow in the United States, we make the gospel about being comfortable and happy. And there are people that just don't get it. Now that it's okay because Jesus spent three years with people that didn't get it. And almost every time he preached, he was trying to help people get it. And the reason why he had come, his disciples didn't get it. After three years, they're riding into Jerusalem. Guess what they're saying? Jesus has told them, I gotta die, I've gotta die, I've gotta die, I've gotta lay down my life. Guess what they asked when they ride in the parade and they said, hey, can I sit on your right and your left? You know Jesus is like, are you kidding me? Can I pick another team? Matthew chapter 20, we can see the essence of the gospel in Matthew chapter 20. The parable of the harvest. It says the harvest had come in at the first hour, at the first hour, they hired laborers in the harvest. The second hour, they hired more laborers. The third hour, the fourth hour, the last hour of the day, in verse six, Matthew 20, verse six, we see this unbelievable, unbelievable interaction where Jesus looks at his disciples and he said, or he looks at the people that are sitting there and he says, why do you sit there idle doing nothing? Because see, the gospel is about the harvest. It's not about being comfortable, nor is it about being happy. Now I'm gonna ask you three questions and I need your help. So get judgmental. Some of you guys perked up. You're like, you know what? I didn't, I've never heard that spiritual gifting, but I think that fits me. (laughs) Maybe not prophecy, maybe not tongues, but yeah, the judgmental thing, that's good. But the problem is I want you to judge yourself. So look at the person beside you and tell them, don't judge me. If you're sitting beside your mother-in-law, tell her twice. (laughs) If you're listening online, call her. (laughs) I'm going to ask you three quick questions, and I want you to see if you get it. The first question is this, can you see the harvest? You know who helped me with this was my little boy when he was five years old. Now he's a grown man. One day I said, hey, I'm going to take my boy into a village, and we're going to preach the gospel on a Saturday to a village that's never heard the gospel. What an incredible father-son experience. And we drove our four-wheel drive as far as we could until the road ended, and we rode up, and we walked into this village. And when we got a couple hundred yards into the village in the center, everyone surrounded us. And I started speaking to them, but very quickly, the situation digressed. And as as I stood there, as I stood there, As I stood there, 
I remember that, that my, that my uh, son, <laughs> we were surrounded by men and women who had stones and machetes and they were spitting on us and insulting us and calling us every kind of name you could imagine. And I was trying to shield my son and walk back and walk back and walk back and get back to the car. And my little boy, he stopped me. He pulls on my shirt tail. He said, Papa, I want to preach. I said, well, maybe not right now. He said, no, I want to preach to them. And I turned around and I calmed the crowd just for a second. I picked him up and I set him on a stone. I remember it because he was wearing a green tank top with orange, with, uh, with orange pants because I had dressed him. <laughs> Some of you women know what I'm talking about. You can't let your husband dress your kids and go in public, right? Some of you can't let your, your husband dress himself and go in public, right? I set him up on the rock and he, and he looked out and he had three points because that's what pastor's kids do. They practice preaching. They baptize cats and they serve communion to their friends. And so we put him up on this stone and he looked out and his point number one was, if you have Jesus, you don't have to be afraid. Point number two, if you have Jesus, you don't have to be afraid. I didn't say he was creative. I just said he had three points, all right? Point three, if you have Jesus, you don't have to be afraid. And my five-year-old boy taught me an eternal lesson. And I want you to open your ears just because they don't look like you and they don't act like you. They don't believe like you and they hate you and they don't vote like you. Doesn't make them your enemy. They're his harvest. And if when you walk out of the four walls of the church, you see enemies, you need to turn off your social media and your television and you need to get into the word of God until you can open your eyes and see the fields are white unto harvest. Can you see the harvest? Second question is this, what are you asking for in prayer? You know, most Christians I meet, they ask, they say, they ask the same three prayer requests. Here it is. See how, you, see how you line up. Me, myself, and I. And what's sad is if they ever stop praying, nothing would change. Because they spend their life asking God to make them comfortable and happy. I have a grandmother in Ecuador. I'm not Ecuadorian. Anybody that knows me knows I'm not Ecuadorian, but I have a grandmother in Ecuador who adopted me. I met her one day. An entire family came to the Lord in the open air meeting in our town. And they invited me to their village. And I got to the trailhead. When I got to the trailhead, no one was there to meet me. They told me to be there on Tuesday. I got there at Tuesday. No one was there. So I started hiking up the side of the mountain and I hiked up the mountain for about four hours. And I went through ankle deep mud, knee deep mud, and waist deep mud. And I lost my salvation about seven times. <laughs> Anybody know what I'm talking about? If you don't, you've never used a push lawnmower, right? <laughs> I remember walking up into that village after four and a half hours and I came, come, I came out, of the, out of the jungle covered in mud and everyone in the village came around because it was like Sasquatch has come to our village to visit us. The biggest, hairiest man God has ever created. And they all came out, about 40 or 50 adults, they all lined up. And I looked around and I did not see the family 
that invited me, and that was a problem. I asked the lady there, I said, ma'am, is this village called Utunkus? She said, yes, it's called Utunkus. I said, is it called Utunkus North? She said, no, it's called Utunkus South. Utunkus North is on that mountain over there. <laughs> At that moment, I said, we're preaching here. <laughs> I felt compelled and lazy. <laughs> so that day, we started at the book of Genesis and started telling the story all the way up to Jesus. It took about two and a half hours to do the whole story. And by the time we got to Jesus, we had 15 adults that gave their hearts to the Lord that day after hearing the gospel for the first time. <laughs> One of them was an 85-year-old grandma who adopted me, who couldn't read or write, and I would walk to her village every week and I would take a New Testament and I would read the New Testament to her in front of her house. And as we're sitting out on a log in front of her house one day, she starts telling me how thankful she is at 85 that finally she has hope. She starts telling me about how she was sold as a little girl at eight years old to her husband. She had 16 kids and most of her kids didn't survive to adulthood. She starts crying these unbelievably happy and glorious tears of thankfulness, but at the end of the day, she looks at me straight through the heart and she says, but can I ask you a question, Pastor? If what you said is true, why did it take so long for someone to get here to tell me? You see, church, we can't be content to sit inside the walls of the church and debate about the second coming until everyone has heard about the first coming. And when you get it, when you get it, when you get it, you realize that Luke chapter 10 verse two is non-negotiable when Jesus said that you would pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send laborers, that you realize that over half the people in the world are waiting to hear the gospel for the first time. Third question and final question. Can you see the harvest? What are you asking for in prayer? Number three, where's your treasure? Where's your treasure? No, automatically some of you guys start shifting around in your seat like you're getting audited by the IRS. But see, the thing about it is Jesus told us in the New Testament, the most powerful thing you have is not your prayer. It's not even memorizing scripture. It is your treasure because the only thing in the entire Bible that can move your heart where it's supposed to be is your treasure. On the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, wherever your treasure is there, your heart will be also. And most people... Most people want to make an appointment with pastor and call on Monday morning and say, pastor, tell me exactly what is my tax bracket to give to God and that way I can just make it go away. But the problem is that's not biblical. You see, Jesus told the rich young ruler, give everything you have away. But then one day it became apparent to me that Joseph of Arimathea was a disciple and a wealthy man. And do you know Jesus never told him to give anything away? You know the difference between the two? One of them had an obstacle, the other one had an implement. Everything you have is either an obstacle or an implement to God. It just depends on where it's placed. No, some of you are feeling like, hey, that's fine because I don't have any money. But Jesus didn't say your money, he said your treasure. 
And every one of us have a treasure. Every one of us have something that we put value into. And see, this became real to me. This became real to me in, in the jungles of Ecuador, something that blew my mind. And, and we, were, we were planting new churches and we were building new churches. And one of our leaders came to me and he said, Pastor, I want to give an offering. This man lives in a thatch roof hut with no running water, no electricity, on less than a dollar a day. And he says, I want to give an offering. And I, in the bottom of my heart, I said, what are you going to give? He said, I'm going to give God my best bull. That man walked for two days to bring his bull as an offering to God so he could be a part of eternity. They asked C.S. Lewis how much we should give. You know what he said? He said, I'm afraid that if you're not given enough to feel it, to feel a pinch, if you're not given enough that it changes the way you live your life, if you live your life like everybody else that, that earns the same amount that you do, then you're not given enough. No, that's not Joel Marbury, that's C.S. Lewis. Where's your treasure? Where is your treasure? I'm gonna ask you to stand up on your feet today. You know what's crazy about the church? The reason this church exists is for all the people that are not here today. Isn't that crazy? Do you get it? Do you get the reason why we have the gospel? Can you see the harvest? Are you praying for the harvest? Are you praying to be happy and comfortable? You know, one of the main reasons I see people walk away from God, it's not because of great temptation, it's just because of misplaced treasure. Because what's amazing is when you put your treasure in the right place, your heart moves. You know, God's speaking to some of you guys in a supernatural way today. And he's not just talking about your finances even though it's very important for every one of us to go through three conversions. You gotta go through a conversion of your heart, your intellect, but I'm gonna tell you the hardest one is the wallet. You know why? Because once God gets the wallet, he gets all of you. Now, I wanna ask you a favor today. I want you to take this in your hand. If you guys got your, your envelope, you got it in your bulletin today. And I'm gonna ask you to pray a prayer with me real quick. And I'm gonna turn it over to Pastor Tom. I want you to show me you got it. Raise it up, raise it up, all right, raise it up. Good deal. If you don't have one, they can get you one. But I'm gonna teach you the most profound prayer I've ever learned in my life, and guess who taught it to me? A three-year-old kid. 
happens to be my kid, my last kid, my wrecking ball. Some of you guys are so scared about what it's gonna cost you to be obedient to God. You're scared to death, but there's something inside of you that desperately wants to get it. One day we were out swimming and my older boys were climbing up on a cliff about two meters high and they were doing flips and jumping in the water and diving and doing all this incredible stuff. And they're like 12, 11 years old. And I was in the shallow part of the water with my little boy, he was three. And he had on little arm floaties. And we're in about ankle deep water and he wasn't interested in ankle deep water. He wanted to get it. (laughs) Come on, church. He wanted to get it. Like some of you want to know what it means to live life abundantly. And as we're sitting there watching his brothers, after a few minutes, he looked at me. He said, Papa, I go. I said, okay, come on. And I drug him up on top of the cliff and we're standing there together on this little bitty spot. And he does this, he steps out on the very edge and he goes, nope. (laughs) He does it a second time. He he puts it all the way out there and he does it again. He goes, "Uh uh-uh, nope. And he starts shaking because he's so scared. He's thinking about everything. What could happen? What's going to take place? And finally, he puts his toes over the edge of the cliff and he squats down and puts his hiney out and he puts his arms out and he looks over his shoulder as he's shaking in fear and he says, Papa, push me. If you're gonna get it, eventually you're gonna have to pray that prayer. Father, push me. Even though I'm scared, even though I'm concerned, with your envelope raised up, would you pray that prayer with me? with your own lips and your own voice. If you're at home, you would do it just as if you were here. Father, push me. I'm more scared of being disobedient than what it's gonna cost me because I wanna get it. In Jesus' mighty name. If this ministry is making an impact in your life, why not help us make an impact on the lives of others by partnering with us today? You can give through our CLC app or at clcftl.org forward slash give. Thank you for listening and remember to subscribe for more inspiring messages like this. Now go and be messengers of hope.